Esther chapter 5, and again, it's, um, as I said, it's an unusual book because it doesn't mention uh, the Lord's name anywhere. There's not the mention of God. There's not the mention of prayer. There's not the mention of sacrifices or temples or uh, anything, really. There's just, a, it's an unusual book in that sense. It seems like, you know, the Lord is removed from that when you just kind of look at the, the words that are there. But really, I believe one of the reasons that Esther is here and the Lord recorded it for us is because, remember, they could have gone back to, uh, to Israel. They could have gone back to Jerusalem. They had already been let go um, by uh, Xerxes' uh, dad, Darius, to go back. Um, you know, everything had, or Cyrus, I'm sorry, to go back. They were able to go back, but there was a good part of them that didn't. And, and uh, so this took place in Susa, uh, or Shushan, as it's written sometime as well, in the capital there of the Persian Empire. And he's not mentioned, but again, I, I think, as I said, that we, he wants to show how he's working through everything, how the Lord works through whether his people are obedient or not obedient, uh, they're faithful or unfaithful, he is still faithful to do what he has said he would do. And so, Again, uh, that's, that's the great um, lesson to learn here. And so, uh, again, we remember last time that, um, that uh, Haman, this evil man, hated Mordecai, which was Esther, who's now the queen's uh, really adopted dad. It was her cousin, but her parents had died, and it seems like his wife and children might have died, Mordecai. And uh, Haman didn't like him because Mordecai would not bow to him as he walked by. And we talked a lot about that. But just to get us up to speed, you know, Haman uh, hated that. And we, we talked, again, a lot about that. So I'm not going to revisit all those things. But um, Haman hated them so much, he didn't want to just kill Mordecai. He wanted to kill all the Jews. And he talked the Persian king into doing that. And... Um, he put out a royal decree in the 126 provinces of the Persian Empire, I believe. There's 126 of them, all in their own language, and said that, you know, at the end of the 12th month, um, I think it's the 13th day or something like that, that you could kill the Jews and, and, you know, you would be able to get anything that they had. So, let's say... Uh, we were a Jewish house in that day, and you could come down our street... Uh, uh, wipe us all out, kill us all, and then you could take uh, a car, you could take uh, the TV set, the microwave oven or whatever, the fish tank, <laughs> and uh, it would all be yours. So you can see how it appealed to the greed and the evilness of people's hearts. And, of course, the um, everybody else besides Haman and the king were just dumbfounded how you could wipe out, you know, we call that genocide today, wipe out a whole race of people. Um, but Mordecai talked to Esther and said, listen, Esther, the Lord put you there. He didn't use that, that term, but he said, you know, how, how do you know you're, you're not meant to be queen just for this time so that you can intercede for your own people? And she said, you know what? I just, I haven't seen the king for a month and I don't know if I'll get to see him. Uh, you know, he hasn't seen me. I don't know if he's happy with me, mad at me. That's why he hasn't seen me. I don't know what's going on. And she said, if I show up uninvited to the throne room, there's a death sentence. You're automatically put to death. Now, you can be spared if the king does kind of 
you know, point his, his golden scepter at you, you can be spared. But it's pretty much a death sentence. And if he's in a good mood and likes me, then I might be spared. If not, you know, it's certain death. There's no question about that. And, but, you know, he, he, they prayed, they fasted, and she went in there. And the king extended his scepter and said, you know, in verse 3 of chapter 5, you know, what do you, what's your request? What do you wish? Up to, you know, half of my kingdom. And so she was willing to be used of the Lord at a great um, risk. And, of course, the doors were flung wide open. And she answered in verse 4, um, you know, if it pleases the king, I'd like you and Haman to come over tonight for, uh, for dinner, you know, that I'm going to prepare for you. And so, uh, you know, verse 5 tells us, Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, uh, that he may uh, do as Esther had said. So the king uh, and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted to you. What is your request? Up to half uh, uh, the kingdom. It shall be done. So again, you know, uh, Haman's still upset, but he doesn't know that uh, Esther's a Jew. Uh, he just knows he was invited to eat dinner with the king and queen, which was probably one of the highest honors you could get. So she didn't know anything about his background or connection to Mordecai. He was just angry because he wouldn't bow down to him. And so, you know, Esther, will, again, Esther willing to risk it all, she invites um, them to dinner rather than just say her petition before the whole throne room. And we talked about that last time as well. You know, there was some wisdom there of not just speaking there when he's, you know, she's already interrupting him. And, you know, there was a lot of people that probably favored Haman. You don't get to be number two man in the world's most powerful empire at that time without having a lot of connections. And so, you know, she said, let's just be the three of us. And I like Esther again, as we said last time, you know, she's not trying to do this behind anybody's back. She's literally inviting Haman to uh, the party. She's going to accuse him face to face. And uh, when she invites him, now they're down sitting and the king sits down and they probably, you know, had their appetizer or whatever, had some chicken wings or you know, mozzarella sticks or something like that. He says, okay, we're here. What, what, what do you want? And he gives it that huge open invitation again up to half my kingdom. And it just shows us a couple of things, too, again, how God is working in the king's heart. You know, he's not like, well, you interrupted me, or, you know, he's not mad at her. He, you know, he's working in the king's heart to do, you know, what, what do you want? And I'm willing to do almost anything. That's what up to half the kingdom means. And we read that sometimes and we think, well, what's the big deal? You know, Dylan, what's, what's really the big deal? I mean... His wife is asking him something to do. Why is there this big, you know, shebang about it? She asked him to do it, he should probably do it, right? I mean, uh, isn't that the way it works in a marriage? Well, you know, in our day and age, that's certainly the way it, it should work. But in this day and age, you, you, you got to think about this. You know, a woman's place was really, you know, uh, uh, not considered much. You know, in, in a lot of places, they are just considered any, not much more than property. Even in some places in the world today, it's still like that. Even in a lot of places in the world today, it was like that. It, it's like that still. But, you know, she wasn't considered to have a lot of authority or power, and she's going up against 
the number two man in the kingdom who has a lot of power and a lot of authority, and obviously the king really likes him to offer him that position and raise him up to be the second in the kingdom. And even when he asks to wipe out a whole people, the Jews, uh, when he does that in chapter 4, you know, the king doesn't even bat an eye. Now, not a good thing on the king's part, but I just want you to understand because it seems like a big deal. Well, he's buying a dinner. Why does she just say it? It's her husband after all. Seems like they could talk, but the reality was that, you know, uh, it was a big deal and it was a big deal for him to recognize her. It was even a bigger deal to want to do whatever really she wanted uh, and kind of just rolled out the carpet. What do you want? No problem. And so, um, again, we have to think of it in those terms because it's important to understand that. You know, Haman had a lot of power to go against him, even though she was a queen. You know, she probably would lose that battle every time. But God's working behind the scenes. And he's moving in the king's heart. And so Esther's going to answer now. Verse 7. Then Esther answered and said, My petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come to the banquet which I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Wait, what? <laughs> She's got him there, seemingly on the hook, so to speak, right? What do you want? Up to half the kingdom. I'm here. We're both here. Now, what do you need? You know, just let me know. And she says, well, what I really want you to do is come back tomorrow, and then we can talk about it. Um, you know, that seems unusual, but I believe, you know, something wasn't right. It didn't seem like to her the right time to speak her case at this point. And, and there was something that she sensed, you know, some people theorize maybe she just got afraid and kind of chickened out a little bit, but I, I, don't, I don't think that's the case as we read through this. I, I just think she sensed that, you know, this wasn't the right time to talk about it. Um, you know, we, it, let, let's, let's move it back, you know, a day. And I think there's an important lesson found here, really, because, you know, I think we all agree if I said, you know, um, you know, we need to be led by our Heavenly Father, led by the Holy Spirit to do things that he's called us to do, whether it's to say or to do or to be a part of or give this or serve there or whatever it is, right? And we say, you know, we, we want to have, you know, know the Father's will if we're, we're going to do that and his leading and his leading as well. And most of us say, yes, we have to do that. And I, I think um, most of us would agree, too, if we say, well, there's also the Father's timing. He might give us the uh, go-ahead, and this is what um, I have planned for you, this is what I want you to be a part of, or whatever the case might be. But um, those two are, are, I think, are really inseparable. We need to have not only the, the Father's leading, and the, or the leading by the Holy Spirit, but we also need to have His timing, too. Both are very important. And sometimes the Lord gives us kind of a little bit of what we're going to do or what he's going to have us to do, but it's not the right time to do it. Or sometimes, you know, um, you know, we feel like, oh, I could do this right now, but it's not really him leading me to do that. It's just I see an opportunity. The timing looks right. I want to take it rather than putting them both together for the leading and for the timing. And I think that's a, an important lesson for us as well. And I just 
personally believe that she, uh, you know, was happy to, um, you know, to, to be a, you know, uh, to see that it wasn't the timing and we're going to try this tomorrow. And uh, so that's what she does. So, you know, we have to wait another day. <laughs> so verse, um, sorry, verse 9 says, So Haman went out that day joyful and with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. So, here again, if that picture helps you a little bit, but just, again, picture what we're, what we're reading here and take note. He leaves on top of the world, right? You know, it couldn't get any better. I was invited by the queen personally just to dine with them over dinner. You know, I'm the second guy in command over the whole empire. You know, arguably, you know, the second most powerful man in the world at that time. As we'll see, he has, and, and we've read, he has got tons of wealth. He's got, you know, everybody is serving him, bowing down to him. He has, you know, that respect. He has power. He has prestige. He has money. He has everything that people dream of having. And yet this one insignificant guy named Mordecai won't bow down to him, and it ruins the whole thing. It really does. And, and again, remember, when Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, Haman never noticed it. Somebody had to point it out to him, hey, Mordecai's not bowing down. And then he kind of looked for him, and which guy's, oh, that's guy there, okay, yeah. So he wasn't making a big deal out. You know, here we kind of see it in the picture as kind of making a, a deal about it, standing in front of him, not bowing. But the reality of it was, he just, you know, knew it was against God's law to do that. There was something in that, as we talked about, not to do that. And so this one insignificant man, this one arguably insignificant act that he didn't receive coming out of the palace after the dinner, and he just let it ruin everything. Um... The whole thing is ruined. He's just mad. He's hurt. He's sad. He's trembling. He's filled with all kinds of anger and bitterness. And when he gets home, he calls all his friends and his wife together because he wants to pour it out and complain. You know, it's, it's, sadly, it's the problem with, with so many people today. You know, their thinking is, I can't be happy until... And, um, you know, I, I'll, or I'll be happy when, and it's a horrible place to be because it's elusive. You're never going to reach the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that you desire outside the things of the Lord. You know, um, I was just reading in Ecclesiastes that, you know, that God has put eternity on every man's heart. And uh, everybody has that longing. You know, what I like to say, it's that missing piece inside the life of a person. And people will say, well, I'll just, uh, I know I'll satisfy, I know what's missing with, with this or with that. Or, you know, if I just get enough money, I will be satisfied. If I just have enough fame, if I have just enough power, if I just have enough 
this or that or whatever it is. And when that doesn't work, you, you go to the next one. And the problem is, it's elusive. You, you'll never reach that. And there, he's just not satisfied, nor is he ever going to be satisfied. Um, and I, I think, you know, we as Christians need to, uh, you know, understand the great and wonderful uh, purpose and knowing of eternity and knowing uh, what God's put us here for and knowing that he's got a plan and knowing that he loves us and knowing that he's worked it all out and, and, and being satisfied in so many things. And I know there's always some things that, you know, aren't going right, maybe going really bad or, you know, mediocre bad or this or that or all over the place, but there is so much that we should really be satisfied in. When you compare it especially to somebody that doesn't know the Lord, that's looking to fill that void with all sorts of stuff. And quite frankly, if we aren't satisfied where the Lord has us, when will we be? I mean, is it the same thing that so many of the people that don't know the Lord? Well, I'll be happy or I'll be satisfied when... And we really, you know, Lord, when you make this happen or when this changes or when this goes away or whatever the case might be, when I have this or obtain that or this or that, we'll be happy when? You know, if we can't be satisfied where he has us, can I say that we might just, it might be elusive to us as well because we're looking for us to be satisfied and if we're not satisfied where he has us, then you, what we really end up doing is morally complaining about the Lord working in our life. And we can understand a person that doesn't know the Lord because they're just trying to fill that hole any way they can. But us, well, we have a lot of reasons to be satisfied. And it's just important that we go back to that. And we just don't want to, you know, have the heart, well, I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy, I'll be at peace when. You know, when it's within today's grasp. When it's within where we are right now. And it's just really a matter of receiving it. And I think it's an important thing that we need to, to look at and be reminded of as well. This guy, he has everything. and He's never going to be satisfied. We that know the Lord have so much. And satisfaction is within our reach. Well... He sees Haman, he blows a gasket, veins are bulging in his head, calls everybody, get everybody to the house, gets all his friends and supporters over there to complain to him. And then verse 11 says, Then Haman told them, that his group of, of friends and his wife, his great riches, the multitude of his children. You know, he had ten children or ten sons at least, probably more than that. Everything in which the king had promoted him and how he advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. And more, moreover, Haman said, Besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to a banquet she has prepared, and tomorrow I am again invited by her along with the king. And he says this in verse 13, Yet all this avails me nothing. 
so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. It's almost kind of comical if it wasn't so sad, but he gets everybody together, you know, all his friends and, you know, probably family, his wife is all there, and then he goes on, look at all I have, look at my position, look at my privilege, look at what I've obtained, you know, I, I'm, I'm at the top of the ladder, I'm CEO of Persian Empire, you know, I got money in the bank more than I could ever spend. I got people that will do anything for me. They'll bow down. They want to see all my posts on face 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 FaceTime, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, they're even gonna pay for um, OnlyFans. <laughs> did, you, did you? I don't know if you guys. Uh, I don't know how long it's been out, but did, you guys seen that website? It's called OnlyFan. OnlyFans, maybe I think it is. But what these. TV and movie personalities and probably other personalities, probably musicians and stuff. What they do is they charge you so much a month to be their fan. And then what they do is they put special content just for those people that have paid that monthly, you know, fee. And, you know, so they get a more intimate contact and special postings and pictures or whatever they want to put up there. Uh, instead of blasting it on social media like Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook or whatever, they, uh, you know, you can pay for it. <laughs> Man, that's the height of, I don't know what. But anyway, you know, so, you know, Heyman's got all that. You know, I got all that. I, I got, I'm the number one followed guy and all those things. And I have this and I have more money and I have prestige and I have power. I mean, I have it all. Look what I have but I'm still not happy. I'm still not satisfied. Because Mordecai, this Jew, won't show me respect. I don't know about you, but I hear in the back of my mind that Rolling Stone song, can't get no satisfaction. <laughs> right? I don't know about you, that's what popped in my mind. You know, can't get no satisfaction, but I try and I try. Anyway, sorry, going way back. But he can't get no satisfaction, right? He just can't. He, it just, it, it just, you know, again, people think if I just have this and I just get this and I just own this and I just have this respect and I'm elected to this office or have this kind of money or own this kind of things or whatever, I'm going to be happy. But... It has been proven over and over and over and over again in I don't know how many thousands and thousands of lives that it's just not true. And that road, happiness and satisfaction is completely elusive. You just can't. I like this proverb, um, 1923, um, and it says this, The fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. You know, again, uh, loving, having that relationship with the Lord, uh, knowing who he is, and abiding in that is, is satisfaction. And, and, you know, Haman's so divorced from that, he's not even close to that. But again, you know, we can't look at things like everybody else does because satisfaction is not found in those things. And if we find ourselves chasing those things, you know, uh, we're going to be unsatisfied too. 
it, it's just not. You know, we got to be like everybody else and got to have this. And again, there's another proverb I was reading that, you know, uh, sorry for my misquote, but, you know, Solomon was saying how, how much trouble a person is gets into and how much pain and suffering it causes because he's just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I know I'm really butcher, butchering that and making it more modern day, but he was saying that, you know, it's just, it's so much stress, stress and agony and trying so hard just to be and have what everybody else does. And it, it's, a, it's a very frustrating place and it's not a cycle that we should get in as believers because we won't find satisfaction there. You can't get no. And certainly, after going over all that he has and then seeing all that he has, you think somebody would have said, it's one guy. And one thing he's not doing, let it go, right? Let it go. You've got all this. Be happy in this. You think somebody would have said that. But his wife steps up in verse 14. And then his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made 50 cubits high, and in the morning suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows built. So here's a great idea coming from your wife and all your friends. Build this huge gallows and have Malachi killed. <laughs> How do you like that? It just goes to show you, you know, uh, uh, you know, ungodly people giving ungodly advice. Um, just here's a picture, by the way, of, don't think of gallows like we do in the Old West, you know, where they're swinging from the rope. The, 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 the common way of death is impaling in the Assyrian Empire. And by the way, they came up with crucifixion first before the Romans did. Of course, the Romans perfected it. But what they would do, if they wanted an example of somebody, they would just literally impale somebody on a pole. So, uh, and this is from a, a relief from a, a, the Assyrian time. So this is actually something that they made. Um, so think of it as a 75 foot tall pole so, you know, seven stories-ish, where they were going to take Mordecai and impale him on this pole where almost everybody could see. So they said, make the tallest pole we can get, put him on top of that, impale, impale him on that so everybody can see, and then all your problems will be solved. You know, then, you know, you make this statement, and man, you're all, everything is just going to fall into place, and you're going to have satisfaction. And again, I just, um, I just find it, um, that advice, uh, so common still today. Now, not impaling somebody and, and hanging them up to, you know, get strung up. But what they're saying is, get rid of your problem, and here's the easiest way, uh, you know, to, to kill them. Now, obviously, in our country, we're not doing that, all of those countries that certainly people do that today. But, you know, how, much, how many times has somebody said that to you when you got this issue? Oh, just get rid of the problem. You know, assassinate their character. Just let them have it both barrels back. And, you know, they're going to say something about you or not show you respect or do this. Well, you give them double back. 
or you know you you just you know you get rid of them this way or get rid of them that way um, it, it's just something that people do today in, in, in our little different way but it's the same thing I just have to make sure we don't go to friends and family who will give us similar advice to stuff like this you know just get rid of the problem do this do that move away move out uh, you know, bail on this, uh, you know, bash them as much as you can, get back at them in this way, retaliate somehow. You know, it's nothing new under the sun. People did it back then, they do it to today. And again, it's sad that, you know, we can have a lot of voices that will chime in and will agree with that. And, and the sad thing is that, you know, if you look for somebody to agree with what you want to have happen or agree with your position or how you feel about anything, you're going to find them. They're not hard to find. You know, you, you'll find somebody that says, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, you should do that. Man, they're out there uh, by the bucket loads. Mm -hmm. The important thing is that we just don't pursue after that. It just is never good for us. Well, chapter 6, um, so you talk to the guys, this pole is probably being erected here, and, um, um, you know, at, at Haman's house and back at the palace, the king is going to bed, um, while Haman's having this thing going on over there with his friends and everybody, the king goes to bed. Uh, in his room, and then verse 1 of chapter 6 says, That night the king could not sleep. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles, and they were read before the king. So the king can't sleep. It happens to all of us at different times. He can't sleep, so what does he do? He turns on C-SPAN. <laughs> That's what we say today, right? He just wants uh, the record, uh, C-SPAN, if you don't know, by the way, broadcasts all the government proceedings in the House and the Senate and all that kind of stuff. So as boring as uh, watching paint dry, right? So he has the chronicles or the records of his kingdom ask them to be read. And he probably figures, if anything's going to put me to sleep, having that read to me, like what is going on, what happened before, you know, in the, in the throne room, and read me what, you know, what happened, you know, whatever, whatever time this guy is going to read it, chooses, it seems like. And, and again, it happens to all of us, right? You can't sleep. It doesn't seem to be anything special. It's not anything unusual. It's very natural. Uh, we all have times where we can't sleep. And, and again, um, but I think that is emphasized here is, as I said before, as we go through Esther, because the Lord works so much of the time supernaturally natural. In other words, um, you know, He is working in the situations that we just think, oh, that's just the way it worked out. Or, oh, wow, that everything got put together this way. Or this happened this way, you know, good or bad. And, or, or, or we're happy about it or maybe not so happy about it. But, you know, he is putting everything together. Say, oh, that's just the way it worked out. Well, if, you know, uh, you know, Marty in your car accident, how's that? If you just left five minutes earlier, you probably think, I don't know, I thought that. But I would have missed her. Or she would have left two minutes later. She would, you know, or 30 seconds, right? You kind of think of those things. If, if that just didn't happen, you know, uh, you know, it just the circumstances worked out that way. 
But the reality is that our Father is working supernaturally in a natural way, and we need to remember this. Uh, again, uh, one of the verses that we've talked about so much in Philippians here, 2.13, it, it tells us, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. And that's the New Living Translation of that. But, but I like that. Just remember, He's working supernaturally natural. Now, in the lives of, the, of, of believers, He is putting a desire in us that is in conformance with His will, and uh, that, you know, and, and it gives us the ability to do it. So as believers, the great thing that we have is he puts those desires in our hearts. And that's in accordance with his will. And then he gives us the ability to carry it out. And it's just so wonderful how that works. And sometimes it just seems so natural. Oh, that's what I like to do. Oh, that'll be great. Oh, this will be fun to be, you know. And it's just all he's working in our hearts to accomplish his plan and his will in our lives. And he'll do that for us. And certainly here in the life of a king who is not a believer in a realm where there's anything but God in there, uh, he is still working. I mean, just think of all how he is working and putting this together to bring it to where they are right now. Esther is made queen. Remember, Vashti didn't want to come before all the party guests and she said, no way. And the guy said, hey, you need to get rid of her because she's bad news, she's a bad influence, and so he does, and a couple years later, he's sad, and, and, you know, brings all these women in, and he picks Esther out of all the women, 126 provinces, you know, from, from almost China and India to Europe, and from, you know, top of North Africa, north up to, almost to, to Russia, this big area of the of the Persian Empire, you know, all the women that are there, he picks Esther. And Esther, you know, is a Jew, and she is, you know, shown favor by the king when she went in there. And we see how Haman's building this gallows for Mordecai, um, and, and, you know, and doing this, which seems like at odds with this plan, but yet we'll see he's working everything out. And the king can't sleep. Well, why can't he sleep? Because God is making him, waking him up. So he can't sleep right now. And, and again, just as a side note, I just want to remind us, how much time the Lord, you know, when he can't sleep in the middle of the night, I, I just find that, you know, the Lord wants to speak to us as believers. You know, he does. And we just... Just, okay, Lord, you know, I'm not distracted by anything else. I don't have appointments. I don't have phone calls. I don't have people talking in your ear. You know, you, uh, all these distractions in the middle of the night. is so much he, he wants to speak to us and fellowship with us or remind us of things or this or that. And it's just always important to be open to that rather than be, you know, frustrated by it. But again, you know, God working everything out and he has them read this. First of all, he could have done anything. He could have brought in all sorts of forms of entertainment, all sorts of ways to help him to fall asleep. But he wants to read about, you know, what's happened in his kingdom. And the guy who's going to read it, and I don't know how many books there are, but he grabs this book and he's going to read this portion that was picked out to the king. And uh, again, um, um, as, a, as a side note, you know, the, the, 
the Lord has a book of chronicles or a book of remembrance. Uh, Malachi uh, 3.18 says, Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And so again, just like the king had records of everything that transpired in his throne room and decisions made, things that had happened, you know, our Heavenly Father is doing that as well, making note of that. Oh, yeah, Patrick did this, and Marty did this, and Annabelle did this, and oh, Dylan did that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You know what I mean? It's in this book of remembrance or whatever, right? It's written down there. He keeps a record of it as well. And so, you know, back to our story here, he, this guy pulls it out. And verse 2 said it was found written that Mordecai had told uh, Bithana and Teresh two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers, who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And we read that, read that back at the very beginning of the book. Well, then the king said, Well, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. So, again, you know, God is working supernaturally, naturally. They pick this book out. They start reading about this time where, where Mordecai warned the king through Esther. Remember, we read about that, that these two guys, who basically were like his bodyguards, were mad at him, and they wanted to kill him. They had the plot, and Mordecai said, Esther, you better go tell the king. These guys want to, you know. And so the guy is reading this here and telling about the king, and the king goes, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. And I'm waiting. I'm, I'm pretty sure he's waiting here. Okay, and, you know, Mordecai was given... 20 pounds of gold or he was given a gold chain or he was promoted or something like that and I imagine you know the guy's reading on to the next thing and I I just how I picture it and the king goes wait wait hold up a second hold up a second what was done for him I, I, you didn't read anything about you know what reward he got for saving my life and they're back there looking uh sorry king you know nothing uh nothing nothing and I bet you you know he's like what Highly unusual. You know, the king wants to reward people that are protecting and worried about his life. And for him not to be rewarded was highly unusual. But again, and maybe almost unheard of, really. But there again is God working behind the scenes in a supernatural way, naturally, to put all the pieces together. And he realizes now, this guy read this portion, he read about what great things Mordecai had done in really sparing his life. Nothing had been done for him. And so he says in verse 4, so the king said, well, who's in the court? And now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai. Now, if you're an underliner, you know, he... he he just saved him, and now Haman is there mm -hmm. to ask the king just to hang the very guy that he just read about saved him on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And verse 5 said, the king's servant said to him, well, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, well, let him come in. <laughs> so picture the scene. He's reading this book, and, and he's like, nothing happened? We got to do something. Okay, who's out there? You know, who's out in, in, in the you know throne room? Who's who's at work right now? And the only guy that's there so early is Haman. 
And the reason is Haman wanted to be there early was because he wanted to ask the king before everything probably started in the day and all that. He was going to maybe get the first order of business to, you know, get Mordecai on that, you know, gallows, on that spear, 75 feet in the air. He was asking for his head. And again, you see how the Lord's putting all these pieces together like he always does. And, you know, we can see you're coming at this big crossroads, right? The king wants to reward him. Haman's coming in to ask for his death. I mean, something's got to give here, right? And again, I just want to um, remind us of this. You know, the Lord is working in our lives in the same way as well. And just because sometimes we don't have a clear picture of how he's putting everything together or how that is going to work out for good doesn't mean he's not working because it's just a matter of waiting. And soon enough, you'll see the fingerprints and the, uh, and the hand of God working and moving. And when you look back, you say, oh, he put that together or he did that. And, and when you're in the middle of it, you just couldn't see how it was all going to work out. As a matter of fact, it seemed like it was all going to fall apart. And, and then, you know, looking back, you know, so, you know, after that effect, after some time, we say, oh, no, you changed it to work here because he's working. He's working. And again, there's times where we just don't see it. But he is working. And just wait. There will be a time when we eventually see his hands and his will and his fingerprints all over it. And again, uh, the book of Esther tells us that and shows us that God manages the affairs of men even without their knowledge. He is working even when people don't get it. And of course, people don't know the Lord. You know, it's karma. It's by accidents, by chance. I got lucky, you know, uh, had my rabbit's foot with me or whatever. You know, I checked the stars that were in a line. I, my fortune cookie was good or whatever, right? Um, right? But God knows what he's doing. And in the courts of heaven, we need to remember this. There are no coincidences, Right? There's no surprises in the courts of heaven. He knows what he's doing. Oh, that happened? No, it doesn't happen in heaven. And there's no, oh, wow, that's coincident. We kind of wanted it to work out. No, it's all him working, all him doing. No surprises, no lucky, no coincidence. God working. Just push the white button up on top there, thanks. So uh, verse 6 says, So Haman came in, and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? <laughs> I, I love this. So he hears about this. Who's out there? Oh, Haman's out. Oh, great. Bring him in. Hey, Haman, I got a question to ask you. You know, if there's somebody I really want to reward, I really want to honor, what should I do? How would you do it? And of course, Haman instantly, right? So typical, I love this. It's all about me. Who else would he want to honor but me, right? It's all about me. He's thinking about me. People are, you know, talking about me. People uh, are involved with me. It's just, you know, it's just sad, you know, that that's the way we go so naturally. We just assume people are thinking and talking about us. You know, that old funny thing is, is so true, you know, when you see a picture, you know, Ethan got back with his 
Camp Hume, you know, when they went up there for camp with the youth group, uh, you know, there was, I don't know, four or five hundred kids or something in that picture. It was a huge thing. You know, the first thing you're looking for is yourself, right? When you get a picture of people, you're like, oh, where am I? Where am I? Right? Because that's what we all do. I want to see how I look in the picture. And, and, and that's the way we think. And when people are talking or we see people whispering, we think they're whispering about us. They think they're talking about us. You think they're, you know, they're saying things about us. And so much of the time, people aren't interested in us. They're interested in themselves. We're talking about themselves. They're doing something about, you know, because they want to are self-absorbed as well. And so Haman is just so out of touch, but so typical of so many people as he thinks he's talking about him. And so he tells him in verse 7, and Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on his head. Then let this robe and this horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback throughout the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. <laughs> so Haman in his own mind thinking, man, this would be the pinnacle of the best of the best, right? What a great idea to be honored the king in this way. And is his own pride of wanting to receive this honor and thinking so much of himself that, you know, he's brought to this point. And again, that pride will bring him down as well. We just need to be careful of pride. Getting stuck on having something so bad you would do anything for it. We just need to be careful about that. And so he lays it out there because it's all about him. And then the ball, the shoe drops. The... Then the king in verse 10 said to Haman, Hurry and take the robe, and the horse, as you have suggested, and do so for Mordecai the Jew, who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. <laughs> I, I just picture it as one of those, you know, cartoon things where the guy's drop, jaw drops and hits the floor, you know, and one of those cartoon things where you hear something and you're so blown away. That man, if, if Haman's jaw could drop and hit the floor, it, it, it would have. I mean, the one guy that he despises. Uh, and again, because of Mordecai, this is the one guy that I want to, I, I got the king into killing all the Jews. I mean, his hatred towards him is just beyond, uh, beyond, beyond. I mean, man, he just, uh, there is... Hatred, you know, upon hatred there. And now the king has ordered him to do that to the very man he was coming to the king to ask for his head, basically. Yet God is working it all out. And so verse 11, there's a little picture of that. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through, through the city square, and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man who, whom the king delights to honor. <laughs> I don't know, picture that. Here's Mordecai, 
okay, this is the king's robe, and okay, here's, you know, the king's crest on the horse, and let's get the king's horse, and let's get them all dressed up, and let's get them up there, and then now I gotta lead them around, you know, by the, by the bridle, and take them around, and I gotta be the guy saying this. And I just believe, you know, he's a huge city, so I imagine he's walking around the city for a, the better part of a day, of that day there, and uh, it's probably the longest walk that Haman ever took. And what a humiliation for him. And, you know, again, a lot of people probably didn't know that. But there was a number of people, particularly all those that sat in the king's gate, when Haman went to get Mordecai, I imagine the guys at first, and it was a probably a very crowded place because that was a place to be, the who's who were there. And when they came to get him, I imagine at first those guys, oh, finally Mordecai's, or finally Haman's going to do something to Mordecai, not bowing down to him. He's probably going to take it out on him now, only to, come on, Mordecai, i got to get you dressed, because <laughs> the king wants to honor you. And I imagine all their jaws are like, what, you know, going on here? But, you know, it was the longest walk. He just hated it, and there was just so much pride to think that it was him the Lord wanted, or the king wanted to honor, and... Again, it just reminds us in that, that proverb, uh, Proverbs 16, 18, one that most of us are very familiar with. It's pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And I can't think of a more appropriate verse that we see coming to pass right before our eyes, this being completely fulfilled in what we read here. And so afterwards, verse 12 says, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning with his head covered. When Haman told his wife, Zeresh, and all his friends everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife, Zeresh, said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent... You will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. And while they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet which Esther had prepared. Look where pride and hatred had brought him. You know, to this point where now he's crushed. He is walking away with his head covered, and that's an act of someone dear to you dying. He took so much hatred and so had so much that him doing that, once he left, he put on, if you would, clothes that you would put on going to a, you know, a loved one's funeral. He acted as someone dear to him had died. You know, pride had been his, dealt its death. Blow. And I, I like this, um, this quote here. He said, We should never underestimate the destructive and the distorting power of hatred. The same irrational, violent hatred that made Haman want to see Mordecai hang to his death is the same irrational, violent hatred that made men want to hang Jesus on a cross. And I like that. It's just... It just shows where that road ends and how that hatred and bitterness and anger and pride and all those things together 
are just so destructive. And when he gets home and she sees him wearing this, his wife, and, and his friends that are over there, and maybe hadn't even left from the night before, uh, you know, he rolls in, you know, she's just like, oh man, you picked the wrong fight. If I could translate this in another way, you're not fighting against Mordecai, you're fighting against God. <laughs> now she doesn't recognize that or see that, but that's the reality of what's happened. You picked the wrong fight. He's a Jew, and there is something protecting this Jew, and it's because of your hatred and your bitterness and your pride and all this, you know, you're, you're going to lose this battle here. I love how she rolls with the tide, though, right? One day she's like, oh, hang the guy and kill him. That'd be your solution. The next day, oh, man, he's going to wipe you out. <laughs> you're not going to survive this. And uh, again, you know, he, he is just there. And, you know, God is protecting. God is working. God is doing the work. And, uh, you know, just as he said he would protect the Jews and they wouldn't be wiped out, whether by Haman or Hitler or Pharaoh in Egypt or any other way, right? Some Herod in, in, in Jesus' day wiping out the baby boys. You know, God's going to see them through because that's his plan, that's his promise. And he gets all that news and just as that, his wife tells him all that and his friends... All of a sudden, the, you know, the limo pulls up to take him to the, the banquet where his you know, fate is going to be sealed, as we'll see next time. Well, let's pray. Father, we do uh, thank you for these, again, words and this story. And there's just so many important lessons here, Father, that we can, we can uh, learn. And so many things of seeing you working behind the scenes, Lord, that we need to remember. And the warning flags also left for us here and Lord we your word is just uh, so powerful and we thank you so much for preserving these stories for us just really pulling back the curtain of how you interact in human history and human lives and human in the human world in this world and um, and we're so thankful father that um, we belong to you and your promise is to work everything out for good for those of us that are called, that love you, and that are part of your plan, Lord. That you worked and put things in our hearts, Lord, that we might accomplish your will, and you give us the ability to do that. And we're so thankful for that. And help us not to get caught up in the pride, or the hatred, or the bitterness that can creep up so much. And Lord, I think even most importantly, help us to be satisfied. He had it all, and boy, Almost anybody you talk to, if we told them, if you had all this stuff, wouldn't you be happy and satisfied? And I imagine 99.9% .9 of the people would say that. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just, um, you know, remind us of those things and, and remind us that there's so much satisfaction right where we are right today, Father, that you might do this great and that uh, we might receive the peace and the love and the joy that's right with us right now, Father. And again, just bless us with these insights and these things for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen you guys. May the Lord bless you. Have a great day.